Bridgestone Tires just rolled into Midas. And if you roll in, we've got an exclusive deal for you. Get $70 back in Bridgestone rebates, plus a $50 reward card with paid installation. Shop Bridgestone Tires at Midas.com. Kick your music, games, and entertainment into 5G. Get up to $800 off smartphones that keep up with playlist changes, midnight raids, and movie marathons on the network more people rely on. Shop in-store at Cellular Sales. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the The kingdom kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, There is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into the Garden of Doom. And like I've promised you many times, we're going to go ever eastward. And in continuing with that, we are now venturing into India. And our guest today is Ajit uh, Padmaab. I hope I did that justice. Um, he is a referral from Reverend Jim Willis, who's been on the show a couple times and will be again. So I, I send my regards out to the Willis family and thank them for this referral. And any friend of Jim's is a friend of mine and a friend of the show. So Ajit, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show, basically with no, um, uh, no hesitation and no vetting. Um, so how are you and, uh, and what's going on today? Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for the invite. I, I am absolutely in awe of uh, Jim and, uh, you know, as you said, Jim's friends are mine as well. So it's wonderful to be here and uh, wonderful to connect with your audience, Jeff. And um, yeah, it's been a great weekend and I, I am looking forward to this discussion. Great. Well, you sent me your bio and before we get into you sort of telling folks about uh, your history, etc., I just want to frame the show a little bit 
for the people. We're, we, I was in search of someone for the Indian pantheon of mythology. Uh, obviously, for those who need clarification, I don't mean North American First Nations or anything else. I mean India, India, India proper. Where um, and uh, the the sort of like the the Kali's and the the Vishnu's and and the Krishna's and the very colorful gods and goddesses with many arms and sometimes animal heads and often blue and and uh, Mahabharata, which uh, my understanding has 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 depictions of, of almost like uh, like aliens waging Star Wars type battles in, in the skies with tanks on the ground. Uh, and if we have the opportunity, and I don't know that we will, um, we will go into some of the tenets of Hinduism and maybe spiritual Hinduism, but that, that may be for an, another show. But before we get to all that, Ajit, please tell the folks just a little bit about yourself, whatever you feel they need to know to... Uh, uh, to help them get in the frame of mind to say, yeah, I should listen to this guy. Sure, wonderful. So, um, I'm Ajit Padmanabh. Um, uh, I hail from Bangalore, uh, which is in the southern uh, area of India, um, the IT city or the Silicon City or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and yes, predictably, I finished my engineering and I joined an IT firm uh, way back in 2003. And... Um, 18 years of uh, work ex over there, traveling across Australia and other parts of the world, uh, led me to believe that I need to do something on my own. So I started my own startup recently. Uh, it's a year old. It's called Who We Are. And it's about uh, bringing in uh, heritage and culture and arts into uh, the modern world. Right. So we leverage virtual reality and augmented reality technologies to recreate ancient sites and temples and give uh, a temple walkthrough in the first person like a video game and uh, get them to understand more about the nuances of these sites which are uh, not only grand in uh, in texture and look and feel but also in terms of the metaphysics and the depth of sciences involved and so that's that's been my life mission now um, apart from that I'm also into music I compose instrumental music and that's how Jeff you know Jim and I have been uh, working together on some of his projects. So, yeah, I mean, that's about myself, and I look forward to this conversation, Jeff. All right, a completely different uh, edge of the topic, but maybe related to what you just said. Are you going to do any work with Danush? And I think I'm saying it right, but he's oh, a guy like Cher Urbano that, that only has one name, and I recently saw him in two movies, RRR on Netflix and The Gray Man, he's, and he's... Uh, a, a Tollywood, not Bollywood, but Tollywood action here, maybe Bollywood also. And so is, are you getting him into your VR? Oh, I would love to. I mean, he's a legend over here. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm so happy that you, you know, you're following folks like Danush and RRR and stuff like that. So I know it's made its mark in the world. So absolutely fantastic to hear that. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that it's just a matter of time before he's called in for a casting call for a DC or a Marvel movie. Hopefully Marvel, because Marvel's the bomb and DC generally bomb in, in the bad way. Uh, but yeah, no, he's, he's, he's uh, you know, sometimes you see someone like the first time I saw Jet Li, and I'm like, this guy's going to be a star. And yeah, he's, he's, he's got that star quality. So, um, so good for him. Um, Anyway, so yeah, get him. You, you, you'll be big time. That, that's, that's the big piece of advice. It's like you telling me, get Brad Pitt on your show and you'll, it'll do well. Yeah, that, 
Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Really useful. All right. So take us, you know, I guess in, in, in the 101 level, you know, 10,000 foot primer, um, I guess maybe first tell what, what the word Vedic means. I'm, I'm not sure that everyone has heard the word Vedic. I'm not sure I heard it until about two and a half years ago. Uh, and, and truly, I've been fascinated. I've just, uh, you know, uh, with the show and who I book and where and guests beget guests. And I just haven't gotten there yet. But I've always promised the audience I'm going to go ever east. And, and you know, and I've tried to jumpstart that a few times, but I keep getting sucked back into the Near East or, you know, other parts of the world because every place has fascinating stories. But, um, yeah, what what is what does Vedic refer to? All right, so uh, at the start, a disclaimer that, <laughs> you know, I, I, am a, I am an outlier for anything related to heritage, history, arts, and culture, you know. Um, I mean, you would have figured out by my background. I'm not a, I'm not a, a degree or a, or, a, or, a, or a certified laureate of history and arts and heritage. So whatever I will speak about is out of passion to learn and passion to seek what my roots are. Right, and who I am instead of who we are. Right, so uh, Vedic. Wow. So it's 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 it, you know it's a broad terminology. I would like to think of it as a way of living um, that was uh, back in the days of you know there is a lot of debate whether this is a pre-glacial era that Vedas used to refer to or. Uh, a little bit after the younger Dryas, right? So that is the kind of time frame that we are looking at. Um, uh, you know, mainstream history talks about it as 2000 BC and, uh, you know, later, which is uh, a kind of a misplaced uh, historical uh, fact right now. So we are looking at pre-glacial or the younger Dryas right after glacial. So pre-glacial would be what, like uh, 13,000 13, AD? 12,960 and beyond. Okay, and then uh, younger Dryas, so it would be roughly, what, 12,000 years and closer? It'll be around 8,000, you know, 9,000 and 8,000 BC. BC. So, yeah, so, yeah. okay, so uh, uh, 10, 10 or 11,000 years ago. I, I really find the BCAD thing to be something that is unhelpful, in the, you know, but uh, that's that's what we're used to, so there we go. Um, yeah. especially how the years go down until you get to BC, then they start coming up. It's like, it's like we've changed how we count time. And I, I know the reasons why and how it got that way. And gee, that is power, isn't it? To actually change the way we count time. Um, I don't know towards what end, <laughs> but I still haven't quite figured out like what, what's the, you know, what's the big deal in controlling calendars? And, Recently, they've come out with a new nomenclature called Common Era, which is CE for short. Mm -hmm. And uh, anything with uh, BC is now called as BCE, before Common Era. And anything AD is Common Era. So if you even refer to it as BCE, it will be the same numbers. Right. But it's, it's, that's just changing the terminology. It's still counting. We're going, yeah. you know, 1 through 2022 for, you know, uh, you know, common era, and we're still, yeah. you know, and still 300 BCE is still 2300 years ago. I mean, it, it's, a, I, you know, I, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm, this is completely off topic. I just don't understand, like, you know, the, the, 
what is the end game of the power to say we are restarting time now at you know i mean obviously it it, it does send the signal that the you know the Christ, the age of the christian religion is 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 how you count time and 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 all that i i, I mean i guess on some level that and controlling the calendar does impact our everyday life and sort of uh, i guess it grounds you but beyond that i i haven't quite figured out the you know what 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 influence it has but that is completely different i i in in what little i know about the the vedas and the vedic i, I agree with you that they're much older than four thousand years old yeah and also you know we have to understand one thing that uh, vedic life or the vedas were um uh, you know, transmitted from generation to generation through listening, through oral communication, they were never written down, right? I mean, we, we like any other Native American tribe or even the Aboriginals in Australia, we, you know, we were an oral tradition to start with, right? And the beauty of our oral tradition is that um, even the Vedas, the way they are structured and the way they are taught Vedas, right? There are different kind of um, um, combinations and permutations of each of the syllables within each of these chants that when uttered incorrectly, another observer can make out that, you know, there is a problem there, you've not uttered it correctly, so this is how you utter it. So the utterance is so perfect, you know, I correlate that to the checksum error in computers, right? There is no way that there can be an error uh, of the way you chant that, um, you know, the verse, uh, because of the intricate checks and balances within the Vedic way of uh, teaching, right? Which, for me, it's a magnificent ancient uh, way of teaching and learning, right? Where, you know, you've not written down anything. The only reference for you is your ear. Right? The only reference for you is your ear for your listening as well as for your verification. Right? And that for me is, is, is a fantastic way of, uh, you know, dissipating knowledge uh, across tens of thousands of years. Right? Mm -hmm. Now the flip side of this is because we've not had it written, the dating becomes erroneous. Right? The, the dating of the, the ancientness of our civilization. Uh, comes into question because right. you know post uh, Christianity, uh, you know mainstream archaeologists, etc. They look for dated evidence in terms of manuscripts, books, stones, whatever it is, right? So, um, so that's the thing about Vedas. Um, another note about Vedas is, I mean, at a very high level, uh, they were orally transmitted, and they were uh, tens of thousands of their branches, right? Only three or four percent of them remain today and the story behind that is only these three or four percent are relevant for the way of living that we have for the last you know uh, five thousand or six thousand years okay right? and they were categorized by one rishi his name is Vedavyas. he's also the author of the Mahabharata that you quoted previously so Vedavyas or his name was uh, Krishna Dwaipana right and he took upon himself to not only document Mahabharata, which is kind of his family history, we will get into it in detail as we go on, right? 
At the same time, he took it upon himself to categorize all of these chants into different kinds of Vedas. So we have four Vedas thanks to this particular classifier. Right? Before that, they were all combined, they were all together. Right. So right. we have four Vedas. One is Rig Veda, the other one is Yajur, the last one, I mean the penultimate one is Atharva, and last one is Sama. Sama Veda has to do with music, right? Atharva Veda has to do with um, uh, you know certain medicinal uh, aspects of human life. Uh, Ayurveda is a subset of that. Um, Yajur Veda is about rules and stuff, and Rig Veda is also about a lot of these living rules and societal rules and stuff. So that's how it's being classified. It's a very very high level view. Um, just to note, it takes a lifetime to study at least one of these. I'm hearing a little echo of myself sometimes. Um... Not now, though. So, okay. So, it's not happening all the time. Okay, good. Um, all right. So, this individual, so obviously named Krishna, is is very famous. I assume this is the, uh, you know, the the honorific or perhaps a direct relation to the Harry Krishna, uh, which I, I'm 54 in a, in a couple months. By the time this drops, I'll be, you know, I might be 54. Um, and... Uh, in the seventies, Harry Krishna was considered a cult, and you know, sort of the butt of jokes in you know airports and the movie Airplane and things like that. It actually is not classified as a cult; it's classified as a religious sect at, at this point, which is probably fair. You know, part of this show, uh, especially with my original co-host, we you know he was very into cults, and we studied the uh, cults, and we covered some, and and um, you know, I, I was sort of surprised to learn Harry Krishna is not a cult, and and but when you see. Uh, the, the definition of cult versus anything else is not particularly convincing if you really look at it, um, but it did it did make make sense anyway. Um, is there is there a direct relationship between that Krishna and Hare Krishna? No, uh, actually not a <laughs> relationship. So, but there is a relationship. I'll tell you what the relationship is. The author of Mahabharata is Vedavyas. His name is Krishna Dwaipayana, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and the, um, you know, the, 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 the divine avatar of Vishnu that takes birth during the Mahabharata times is the Lord Krishna. Krishna. Right. And the, the movement of Hare Krishna was based on the Bhagavad Gita rendition by Lord Krishna during the Mahabharata war. Right. So there is a relation there, but these two are different personalities. Okay, so so it's like, you know, Zeus is the king of the Greek gods, so the pers first person who wrote it was named named himself Joe Zeus, and then somebody who had another religion or, or interpretation later on decided to name themselves Jeff Zeus and, and say everyone who follows me is a Jeff Zeusian. Right. Okay. No, these two are different personalities. They were, they were part of the Mahabharata, in fact, the author's uh, great-grandsons are the ones who actually fight the war. Mm -hmm. And in those, in, in, in just before the battle, Lord Krishna, who's the deified form of uh, Vishnu, he comes in and advises one of uh, the uh, Pandavas, who are the great-grandsons of Vedavyas. Uh, uh, okay. The author. I think to best understand it, maybe it's probably best to start with the, the pantheon itself. Uh, so it sounds like the king of the gods, and there often is a king of the gods, is Lord Krishna. Is that correct? 
Um, so, okay, so yeah, um, so this, this is a bit, so in, in the Vedas, the king of gods is Indra, I-N-D-R-A, and Indra essentially means senses, right? So, I mean, it is a, it is a parallel to draw that, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you control your senses, you become the, uh, the supreme, right? So, Indra is also a parallel to Zeus because Indra also has a thunderbolt. He's also the rain god, um, uh, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so Indra's, um, we probably pronounce it here on when it's anglicized as Indira, or we think it's that's it, but it's Indra, and Indra is yeah. the king of the gods, sort of your your weather god, your your everything that controls exactly. so that something can grow, so you can eat. Exactly. Exactly, and Indira is uh, the former prime minister of India. And that's a that's a that's a that's a female gender name. Uh, that's spelled as I N D I R A, while Indra is spelled as I N D R A. Okay, so the I makes it feminized uh, in in this context. Okay, got it. Uh, all right, so Indra is the king of the gods, and then from there. Uh, you know who, who's Indra's queen or queens, and and who are who are sort of the major gods, and then I think maybe if you could give physical descriptions of some of that, would be great because uh, I mean, folks, I think know this just through living, but the Indian gods and the Egyptian gods are sort of without peer in in how elaborate and wonderful they look. I, I recently did a dive into the Canaanite gods, and 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 they're also quite interesting to look at, but. But they're sort of almost like where the wild things are. They're they're sort of like you know sort of scary and horrible and, and demonic. Whereas uh, the Indian gods and the Egyptian gods are you know also beautiful and elaborate and and well adorned and things like that. So and oftentimes uh, the uh, the Indian gods are blue, which is uh, cool as well. Right. <laughs> so uh, Indra's wife. To answer your question, her name is uh, Sachi. Uh, and coincidentally, my mother's name is also Sachi. Ah, well, there you go. So you're a, you're a demigod. <laughs> so it's uh, you know multiple lifetimes away, Jeff. <laughs> so uh, uh, apart from that, the uh, the more common gods, you know, the Vedic gods um, towards the initial part of it was more about Indra and a lot of these uh, um, you know demigods who were fighting battles and stuff like that. I need to put it in a very rude context. Um, right. Uh, the mainstream gods that we uh, follow today, part of the pantheon, right? Um, we have uh, Vishnu, who has these ten avatars. One of which was Lord Krishna, who was in the Mahabharata, and the one before that was Lord Rama, who was part of the Ramayana. You know, you would have you would have read about these two epics. Right? So that's Vishnu. Um, Part of the Trinity is uh, Vishnu, Shiva, and Brahma, right? Um, Shiva is the uh, uh, the uh, you know it's it's a it's a tattva or it's an element, uh, more to speak metaphorically. Uh, but in terms of a description, he's he's uh, um, you know ridden with ash, and he's got a crescent moon on on his forehead. Um, he's got the river Ganges coming out of his locks. Right, and he's got a snake around his neck. His throat is blue in color because he absorbs the poison of the world, which makes his throat go blue. Mm -hmm. Right, and he's got a um, you know a leopard or a tiger skin on his uh, you know on his body. 
So that's his description. That is Shiva for you. Um, in the Trinity concept, just to map it to the Christianity side of things, he is known as the god of destruction. Right? Vishnu is the god of preservation. And Brahma is the god of creation. Right? And the interesting part is each of them have a consort. Right? So this is, you know, very easy to understand. Let's take Brahma. He's the creator. Right? And Brahma's wife is uh, Saraswati. And she's the goddess of knowledge and music. Okay. So, you know, for us to create anything in life, we need knowledge. So that's the kind of symbiosis that comes out in those two entities. Um, Shiva's wife is Parvati. Parvati is also known as Shakti. You would have heard of these terms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, Shakti is that the, the music trio of uh, John McLaughlin and Sakya and all that thing. So, uh, Shiva is the destroyer. So, therefore, you need power to destroy. You need strength to destroy. And that's Parvati. That's the element, right? Lastly, Vishnu is the god of preservation to protect, to preserve. Uh, and his wife is Lakshmi. And Lakshmi is the goddess of wealth, right? Wealth loosely would mean the wealth that we are used to, but it also means the the under under earth wealth of you know minerals and uh, water and all of these things because it is essential for our preservation, right? Sure. I mean, climate change is nothing but the destruction of these resources which we have to deal with, right? So um, this is the Trinity and their respective consorts, which is a very nice way of putting across this whole creation, preservation, destruction uh, as a, as a, you know, as a, Cycle. Uh, what do you say, model, right? Yeah. So. A yeah. triangle, basically, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, checks and balances, or a, a balance, balance. That's, that's the word I'm looking Absolutely. for. Absolutely. And, okay, so who's, who's the elephant? Okay, um... Aetna has over 1.6 million care providers. So whether you need a urologist, dermatologist, or otolaryngologist, our team's got you covered. Because healthier happens together. For all your healthcare moments, choose Aetna. Learn more at aetna.com slash moments. At Lexia, we know literacy changes lives. As the gateway to the future for every student, literacy can boost their confidence and help them realize their full potential. Based on the science of reading, our literacy programs along with all of those dedicated educators, can change the path of students' lives forever. We believe literacy can and should be for all. That's why at Lexia, we're all for literacy. Elephant, there is there's a very interesting story. So let's take Shiva and Parvati, right? So um, the story goes that Parvati uh, was uh, bathing, right? And uh, Parvati's son is Ganesha. Ganesha was still with the human head. He was a normal human being, Ganesha. As a kid, he was just put outside the uh, uh, bathing area just so that, you know, um, you know, he kind of checks out if people are coming in or anything like that, right? Um, Shiva approaches that area and um, Shiva says, you know, we, I want to talk to my wife. Who the hell are you to stop me from talking to my wife, right? Um, so Ganesha said, no, it's the orders of my mother and I'll have to stick to it. So this guy, um, in a fit of anger, he just chops his head. Ah. Right. And then Parvati comes out of her bath and she meets her husband and she sees her son being decapitated there. 
and she curses uh, Shiva and uh, she says, you know, I need my son to be alive. Um, go, go on the earth and get any head that you may get, right? Which is facing um, north. Okay, and that direction is very important. I will come back to that uh, in a in a while. Um, so Shiva goes in search in the forest and stuff and finds this elephant sleeping towards the north, right? Um, cuts, severs the head, places it on this particular kit, and that's how Ganesha was uh, transmogrified into an elephant god. A poor elephant lost his head because I imagine that the the, the kid retained the his the properties of his you know hum, yeah. humanoid godhood, but the, the, and lost all the yeah. elephant. The elephant was not lost. The elephant got salvation as a result of this. Oh, you know, okay. we call it moksha, and because you are decapitated by God Himself, you know, you get the ultimate uh, remuneration for that. Okay, so his sacrifice led to some gain. So, so, so good. Good for the elephant then. Um, before we get to north, what what is the significance of the blue skin tone? I, I know that like you know there there's that the color blue rarely existed, and that the blue, the color blue paint didn't exist until like something like the eighteen hundreds or something like that. Is that at all related? I know in some places purple was the color of royalty. Like what what. What's the depiction of blue? Did, did someone just decide that that's so that there's no human that even remotely looks like blue? Or what's up with blue? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, good question. And, uh, you know, coming back to Krishna, Lord Krishna, Krishna, the word actually means dark. It actually means black. Okay. So uh, Krishna traditionally was darker complexion. You know, if you if you look at a lot of us Indians, you will find us, you know, not even around the darker side of the mm-hmm. right? So that's the kind of complexion that he is supposed to have had. Uh, blue, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I think it's been a, a, a neo-concept, if I may ah, say. Okay. Right? Um, because there are a lot of uh, paintings of the 18th and the 17th century in India that depict them in the darker shades of you know, black, I mean, you know, darker shades of brown or gray or black, right? Blue seems to be a new concept, but I may be wrong there. It's something that uh, I've not researched uh, deeply. Okay. Well, if you um, ever learn that it's, that it's something different, you'll, you'll let us know. But uh, it sounds yeah. like maybe it was just a effort to maybe make it more politically correct before we had the term politically correct. Um, yeah, make it uh, maybe, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Or maybe it just it looked prettier on, on canvases. I, I I don't know. Um, or easier to discern features with a blue background than if you just to do uh, pitch black. Um, all right. Uh, and then we have so one that, that a, a goddess I think that is pretty well known is Kali with like eight arms, something like that, with different uh, swords or scimitars in each in each arm. Um, depicted in the show American Gods as well. Uh, is uh, is she the goddess of war, or you know, who's Kali? <laughs> so um, Kali is an avatar of Parvati, Shiva's wife, right? And um, Kali is the ultimate destroyer. Okay. So avatars um, are like if, if the god projects part of itself onto a human. 
Exactly, exactly. Onto a human or any living conscious entity on planet Earth. Okay, so and that's why his animal avatars also. See, initially, if you look at Vishnu's ten um, avatars that have been there on this planet, it starts with the fish avatar, right? It moves into the tortoise avatar, and then it comes into wild boar, and then a lion, right? And then a a, a, a short height human being. Right, I don't want to call it a pygmy because that's you know that's a, that's a very sacred name, right? So a short height human being, and then followed by um, a warrior human, then uh, a, a civilization city human, and then the 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 avatar of Krishna, right? And then Buddha, which is Gautam Buddha, which is the Buddhism, uh, you know, uh, the founder of Buddhism. And eventually, it'll end with avatar called Kalki, K-A-L-K-I, which is yet to manifest. We are yet to see that. So, if you look at the avatars from fish to tortoise, it, it gives you that evolution uh, mm. parallel as well. Mm. You know, starts in marine ecosystem and then moves to land, and then there's an evolution into mammal, which is the wild boar, right? From reptile to mammal, and then from mammal to uh, the king of mammals, which is obviously a lion and then into a human form and human form also it's very cool right you have a short human being it could be the first in Africa you never know right I mean these are all conjures and stuff like that that we put in but this whole thing is so um, uh, beautifully ordained right and each of them come with their own powers you know in fact my whole thing is to make these into games right for kids to understand I mean you know like Marvel has its own universe mm -hmm. You know, we can have our own universe because all the scripts are there, all the storylines are there, all the wars are there, all the weapons are there, all the ammunitions are there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's already right. So, coming back to your question, this is the uh, ten avatars of uh, Vishnu, right? Um, Kali is the um, avatar of Parvati, as I said, and avatar is an instantiation. It is uh, part of the power of the ultimate of the supreme. Uh, you know, that has to live through a human life on this planet, right? So he's not bereft of any problems or ill wills or manipulations or even politics, right? He is not bereft of it, right? He has to deal with it the way a human would deal with it. But it's just that he has an aura that will come out, uh, you know, uh, to the personalities around him. Him or her. Uh, that is the, the description is amazing because this is thousands of years before Darwin, and you know, not that this is exactly scientifically evolution, but symbolically, it's not. You know, it's it, it's symbolically it's close to it, and also it's not a it's not a signatory on evolution. You, uh, you know, it's not like evolution is correct. You, you know what I mean? Right. Because all these theories are bound to be um, you know questioned and stuff like that. But it's a very nice parallel. You know, I mean, back in those days, just imagine creating something like this and it's impossible to create this out of nowhere you know it cannot be simply imagination it has to be some basis some foundational uh, history or science behind it that they knew and they documented yeah i i i am uh listen i'm obviously an amateur some people call me a researcher i don't really think i am a researcher i think i'm just a interviewer of researchers and people with knowledge if that's research of a sort fine so be it um but it, it's it's 
I, I'm starting to develop this working theory. You know how the, 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 there's linguistic families, and one is Indo-European, which is probably the the most common language family on on the world. You know, in the world now, if it, was it ever, I don't know. But uh, but bet- between India and all the English-speaking countries in the world at this point. Uh, you know, and and the, the the romanticized language or Roman languages, it, it's probably unquestionable. In any event, um, my working theory is that a lot of you know a lot of knowledge came through whoever it was who what were the first people who took this spoken language and spread it. Uh, at some point, it became written language or languages, and I'm sure there were different interpretations. And you know, I, I think you know that. You know, a lot of people, when, when I listen, when I say people, I mean researchers, people who write books or you see on YouTube, you know, they, they always act like serpents and dragons are the same things. I, I'm not convinced of that, but I'm not, I'm not sure that it wasn't just a change in definition that at, at one point it was serpent. And then when you got somewhere else, it became dragon, maybe because somebody stumbled upon, you know, a, a pterodactyl, you know, bones or something. Um you know, which I think is very different. And I think there's a reason why the, the interpretation of a serpent is very different in, you know, sort of in Chinese and, and Japanese lore versus sort of European and Near Eastern lore. I, I, I hate the term Near Eastern because near to who, but for, for, for sake of this discussion, Near East is the Middle East as as we know it today, which is stupid because it's not the Middle East. It's 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 the Southwest East. I mean, it it doesn't even make sense geographically. It's some unlearning we have to do, you know, with respect to the maps itself now. You know, yeah, yeah no, it, sort of- it, it, everything is Eurocentric, and you know, uh, you know, it, it 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 just is, and and you know, everyone can have their own theories as as to why, I mean, just because it's was the. Yeah, you can just say it was the dominant military, you know, uh, source of for you know for the last twenty five hundred years is probably a simple enough reason to, for the purposes of this show. Um, in there, lost somewhere is 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 a question as to the the serpent. Does it have sort of the? Does it have more of the divine connotation, or does it have more of the uh, biblical reptilian scary connotation or is it sort of in between where the greeks have sort of the the serpent is related to healing and things like that but also the serpent you know they, they can be the hydra and and typhon the the uh, the, the the titan or the gorgon that, that zeus had a slay or whatever um so you know or, or is there more than one interpretation like is, is the serpent uh, is the serpent even something of significance um in vedic Absolutely. culture Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. And just, you know, just before I come to the serpent uh, symbology or the significance, uh, a couple of points I'd like to make on the initial, um, you know, the Vedic way of life that you asked, it just it just passed me right now that, you know, um, even before the, um, the avatars were documented, the Vedas were already in place, right? And one of the Vedas, uh, the Rig Veda, the first, the oldest one, as they say, um, that has documented, um, of course, it's debatable. That has documented the migration of people uh, from the Indian mainland westwards, right? And it, it's called the Out of India Theory, OIT. Uh, debatable, um, and the proofs are being gathered as we speak. But it's very fascinating that these um, 
these scriptures had multiple interpretations not only for the for invoking divinities but they also were talking about the migration of peoples they were also talking about maths and science in these scriptures so it's like you know encoded language with multiple meanings right that's the that's the kind of intelligence that these um, ancestors had of us right uh, in that very uh, notion you know rigveda talks about 45 rivers uh, in that part of uh, the asian subcontinent i mean the asian continent which is india pakistan afghanistan today right and each of them have been scientifically proven through oceanographic uh, snippets right so fascinating right back mm-hmm. there you know and you know you realize that these guys were not hunter gatherers these guys were knowing some stuff and there is some astronomical reference also you know the constellations and sure. stuff like that. Yeah. i just wanted to touch that you know um and the the second point is you brought about the egyptian civilization uh, in your discussion uh, now there is a very very uh, cool resemblance between um the the vedic and the egyptian civilization in the sense that both of these civilizations had seven founding fathers so in the vedic way of uh, you know documentation we refer to them as saptarishi sapta means seven mm-hmm. like very much like hepta in greek yep right rishi is rishi right saptarishi seven sages who kind of created this whole civilization right and uh, in the uh, in the skies up we have this alsa major the constellation we call that saptarishi so there is a star map to our storyline also you know very much similar to the egyptian you know um star maps and stuff for that as right? above so is below as right above, so below. absolutely right. absolutely right so these are the two uh, you know aspects that i just wanted to cover this will be very very uh, you know interesting and deep is ursa the same as the seven sisters the pleiades or is that something different uh, uh pleiades is something different pleiades okay. has to do with the seven wives of one one particular rishi and that's where you know some of them are weak stars and some of them are strong stars the story goes that the rishi's favorites are stronger stars and you know uh, you know that kind of stuff so this is more of one sage having seven wives you know that kind of stuff sure it's like and, the old western uh, right. the you know hokey saw the seven, seven brothers for seven sisters or something like that or seven wives for seven brothers um exactly. but seven exactly. is the, exactly. se- seven is significant very significant all over very the place uh lucky yeah, even, seven yeah yeah even in numerology it's the number of the moon mm-hmm. you know two and seven are the number of the moon and one and four is the number of the sun right so guys who are born on second or seventh or any you know summation dates thereafter like 25th for example is a seven they are the kind of people who are driven by the moon and stuff like that so astrologically you will be mapped to one of the constellations or the stars that we have right i mean you i don't know if you're familiar with the birth star and birth chart that we we in india follow no um no uh, so basically the time when we are born on a particular day that time is recorded and the star positions on that time on that day is recorded mm-hmm. based on the star positions your birth chart is drafted okay and these birth charts will have the um, you know the kind of destiny that you will have or the kind of future that you will have or the kind of troubles that you will undergo or the kind of successes you have it is absolutely dependent on the star at the point 
off your butt, right? In broad strokes, is this type of astrology similar to Western astrology, or is it sort of completely different? Um, it is similar in terms of 12 zodiac signs, but it is completely different in terms of digging those zodiac signs further down. Okay. So when I say star, you know, a zodiac sign is a constellation, right? And constellation is a group of stars. So what our system is, it finds out that star at which we are born within that constellation, right? And we call that zodiac sign as a Rashi, R-A-S-H-I, right? It's a collection of stars. And we have a 27 star system, 27 nakshatra system, which decides the astrological boundaries of every uh, personality, right? And uh, our astrology, insofar as well, zodiac signs are concerned, are similar, but our astrology is focused more on the moon sign rather than on the sun sign. Mm-hmm. You know, in Western astrology, it's sun sign Scorpio, and in Eastern astrology, it'll be uh, moon sign. Vrishchika, which is for Scorpio, right? For example, uh, I am born on 2nd November, right? So my sun sign is Scorpio, but my birth chart, Rashi and sign is uh, Leo. Okay. Well, we're probably the same then, because I'm a Scorpio also. Awesome, man. I'm 11-11, so a lot of what you're saying applies to me as well. Yeah, I'm a double Scorpio, I guess. I I don't know. Um, Awesome. Yeah, coming to the serpent now. Yes. You, know, um, you asked me about the serpent. So serpent, it, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. Of course, reptilian mind, everything is there. It's it's the basis, right? It's the foundation. Um, the Vishnu avatar that I was telling you about, Vishnu, Vishnu sleeps on a serpentine bed. Okay. So you would have seen these reclining Vishnu images on the internet. Just Google them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll have a snake hood protecting him, right? Um, our the our scriptures, they talk about Vasuki, the serpent, which is the progenitor of a lot of these life forms. Okay? It's very similar to the aboriginal story of the snake snake creator. Right? Um, and serpent for us is both a reptilian manifestation in your brain as well as the, um, the energy line of our human body. Right? The spine... You know, your chakras, mm-hmm. the, the, the serpentine, uh, uh, you know, the flow of energy uh, from bottom to top. All of that has a symbology of the uh, serpents. And we have a class of devatas, a class of gods, the pantheon that you spoke about. We have a pantheon called Nagas, N-A-G-A-S. Nagas are essentially snake gods, right? So we believe in worshipping snake gods to rid us of our skin ailments, okay? And that right now has a very, very scientific uh, correlation also, right? I mean, snakes are known to shed their skin, etc., etc. Yeah. They molt. And, you know, yeah, and snake medicines are uh, shown to cure some skin-related ailments also. So so it's, it's a multi-dimensional interpretation for serpents as you would have made out from now, right? Uh, you know, there is this god, uh, there is this um, god's bed being a snake. There is the uh, there's a whole pantheon of snake gods, and we believe that um, snakes are underground and underwater. So the snakes do not get a bad rap. Uh, snakes are venerated. The serpent is is more venerated than feared. 
so in 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 indic uh, history or indic philosophy i don't call it mythology indic philosophy indic history every organism is both bad and good you know uh, for example krishna the the one in the mahabharata lord mm-hmm. krishna right mm-hmm. he fights a, a snake uh, from underwater because that is out to kill babies right so krishna goes underwater pulls out the snake and chops them right at the same time krishna krishna's brother who's uh, who's balram he is a form of a snake he is he is an avatar of a snake right so we have both the veneration as well as the destruction because that's how we have been built right so if you know i mean no thing is absolutely good and no thing is absolutely bad you know it's it's a very simple philosophy that we follow that's sort of like the yin and the yang uh, all that is good yeah. you know all that is good has evil in it all that is evil has good in it so Absolutely. right sort of like a, a black panther versus killmonger you know <laughs> that kind of thing. um do you have an equivalent of angels and demons mm, uh we do and uh, and the demons are the further classified um i'll just go into that and these these are a lot of myths uh, that have been kind of uh, perpetrated in the last 100 years which are trying to slowly undo right so angels angels we would loosely compare them with devatas d e v a t a s right indra is a devata for example the the god of thunder that we spoke about god of rain god of fertility etc um and now that we have a lot of uh, devatas who are uh, benevolent by nature right but at times become malevolent and they are punished by the supreme accordingly right mm-hmm. so that's the devta side so angels are not uh, you know completely angels again it just goes to that duality uh, uh, thing right um so these these uh, devtas are benevolent but at times uh you know operate with malefic intent as well right where they are rightly resurrected by the gods and supreme gods and stuff so that is the devta that is angel now demon there are two sub classifications uh one is uh danava d a n a v and the other one is uh daitya you know d a i t y a and the third one is rakshasas which you would have been very familiar with i i'm, I'm just thinking you know rakshasas is the most commonly used word for demons right mm-hmm. um so so uh devtas daityas and danavas came from one sage to three wives okay um one of the uh, wives name is uh, uh titi and she gave rise to devtas if i'm right and another wife name is aditi she gave rise to danavas and the last wife gave rise to rakshasas okay uh rakshasa means literally protector raksh means protection okay, okay? so rakshasas were there to protect forests they are forest dwellers they are there to protect forests right so any civilized uh, personality from the indic history would go into forest to chop wood or whatever it is rakshasas would attack them why mm-hmm. because that's their duty right right so they're not bad bad 
they are just performing their duty as the civilization is performing its duty. Right? So, so that's so, about. So they're less demon than they are protector of something in the natural world, which may be the in conflict with something in the human world. In the human world, yeah. And, yeah. and look at that, right? Back then we had Rakshasa's protector of forests, and now here we are trying to reclaim forests and stuff like that, right? I mean, the, the parallel is uh, amazing. But the angels are not, uh, you know, the the warriors are the messengers of, say, uh, Indra, and the, the demons are not sort of like the messengers or warriors of, uh, you know, s some version of the devil. At Family Dollar, we know you want more to enjoy your summer. Delight your family with our great assortment of ice cream and frozen treats. Family Dollar, helping you do more. Hey, how was your prenatal appointment? Good. We talked about what to eat, getting exercise, and which prenatal vitamins to take. Oh, and I made an appointment to get vaccinated for COVID-19. You did? Why? My healthcare provider told me that the COVID vaccine is safe to get before, during, or after pregnancy. It won't harm me or my baby. So I'm getting the vaccine tomorrow at a local pharmacy. For more information about getting the COVID-19 vaccine, go to health.ny.gov pregnancy. It's different. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's more complicated yeah, than that. Yeah, if you don't have that black and white, um, we, as I said, we have these elements within every personality. We have these elements within every god. Okay. Or a deity, you know. Um, the devtas that I took the example, they, are, they can be better classified as demigods, right? Um, you know. Oh, that's uh, good. That was one of my questions. Yeah, I mean, you said demigods earlier. So what, is, yeah. it, is a demigod sort of the same where a god, you know, mates procreates with a mortal human uh whether it's the man with a human with a human woman or a uh mortal man with a, a deified uh female and you come out with a demigod is it, is it sort of the same thing or is it something else uh no it's not a demigod is based on the powers that these uh, people have mm -hmm. uh, they not be uh born unnaturally or naturally because uh, for us, you know, birth and death are just happenstance, right? I mean, even if you're born out of, um, um, you know, a devil and a god or whatever it is, you are born and you are a creation of the ultimate, right? So you have a life to live. Right? So, so it's not a hybrid. It's a, it's just, it's just you have lesser powers or or limited powers. Exactly. So are the ones who are uh, equipped with lesser powers. They have to earn their powers. And they have to do good to earn their powers, and when they do bad, they lose their powers. So that's demigod. Okay, so there's no like equivalent of uh, you know Hercules or or like the Nephilim and in, in you know in biblical. Uh, okay, that that's fine. That's cool. Um, do you have giants? Giants, a lot of them. Okay, are, a lot of, in, in Mahabharata itself, um, there are the um, so one of the one of the Five brothers in Mahabharata, the one who actually based the war and emerged victorious at the end of it, right? I mean, uh, you know, Mahabharata is a is a fight between brothers of the same clan, right? It's a war between brothers of the same clan. Mm -hmm. On one side, there are 100 brothers. On the other side, there are five brothers. 100 brothers have a lot of alliances across India. Five brothers have a lot of alliances across India as well. So the war lasts for 17 days. Uh, 18 days and you know at the result of it the five brothers eventually come out victorious it's the victory of dharma over uh you know the, you know the victory of righteousness over evil right 
and the hundred brothers were personification of eagles or whatever it is, right? So one of the five brothers, his name was Bhima, B H I M A. He himself was well built. He is supposed to be the avatar of wind, Vayu, and Vayu again is one of the devatas, one of the gods. Vayu is air, the element air, right? Um, so Bhima, uh, when he would go into forest, he would find these giants and he would chop them up, right? One of the giants turned out to be his wife because she fell in love with him and, you know, he said, okay, you know, it's fine. You help me over here. So let me be with you for some time, right? So um, that, that union gives rise to a giant who becomes this person's son, obviously, and he actually fights the war also. So these giants are like, um, you know, you can easily call them around 40 to 50 feet. Oh, okay. Not tall, not more, you know. And, um, of course, I, I don't know, you know, what kind of research will prove that they actually existed uh, because the kind of uh, civilization that we've had for the last so many um, centuries, you know, the soil layer that we have to dig in to find such artifacts would be quite deep. Right? Sure. So, uh, giants did exist, both good and bad, again. Okay, excellent. That's, what's, that's, that's uh, actually... Uh... And, well, and also, in, during the age of Mahabharata or even earlier than that, even humans were taller than what we are. You know, they are thought to be around 7 to 8 feet tall at least. And each of them lived at least 250 years of life. No, that's a long time. Um, some of the equipment described in the Mahabharata, I mean, some describe the, 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 the ground vehicles as almost like tanks or armored personnel carriers. And some of the aircraft, and, and it sounds like there were craft indeed, were you know, almost like, uh, you know, like, like ships you'd see in Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica. They were basically fighter jets, you know, uh, with, with power beams. And then, of course, some uh, people have interpreted that to mean uh, that there was, you know, nuclear weapons and whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's the case or not. But can you describe, you know, as best you can in as simple a terms as you can, like, what, what, what was some of the equipment that, that was used? I, I, I've heard the word Vinaya, Vinaya. I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly. Um, like, I mean, it sounds like a, a, a sci-fi epic going on here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the uh, so there is a, a section dedicated in Mahabharata to the description of these weapons, right? And there are three steps. One is how do you gain the weapons? What do you need to do to gain the weapons? What is the power of the weapon and what's the misuse of the weapon? See, that, that's where we appreciate the, the philosophy aspect of our way of living, right? We understand that these weapons are there, but these are weapons of choice and these cannot be weapons of emotion, right? Because there is an after effect that you will have to bear as a person who ejected these weapons, you will be liable for punishment you know, in whatever way, right? So the misuse part is already locked in in terms of principles and ethics, right? Now, the kind of weapons they had, um, I was reading even yesterday, see, one of the weapons was um, voice controlled in the sense that you could utter the name of your enemy, the one the weapon needs to attack, and the weapon will not only hear the name, it will also find that person in that whole war zone, 
and chop them. So, oh, so it, it, it's basically voice guided to find the particular enemy. It's, it's, uh, I thought you were going to tell me it's bonded to the, uh, to the user, but no, the, the user can have a directed, uh, you know, almost like laser guided, but it's going to, it's, yeah, it's, so it's attaching. It's, it's, it's voice, voice, um, voice command, as well as the image recognition, you know, those kind of technologies combined into one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, so you, I mean, the, the, the weapon has to identify the person from just the name. So imagine the data that that weapon had, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So it's very similar to AI of today, maybe. All right. So, so it's like an intelligent drone, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. In, it, in today's terms, I mean, yeah, who knows what it was, yes. but, but in today's yeah. terms, you could say drone, get Jeff Lippman, the thing, you know, the, you know, the computer picks up Jeff Lippman, images of Jeff Lippman, you know, maybe it asks you, you know, Jeff Lippman in Baltimore or Jeff Lippman in, you know, uh, the Seattle, I don't know. Hopefully, there's only me. But uh, that's one kind of a weapon, which is voice controlled and uh, target specific, mm -hmm. visualized. The other one, which is the more popular one, it's called Brahmastra, and that is loosely compared to the nuclear weapon. You know, because in the Mahabharata also, the guy who wishes to use it, uh, he's uh, admonished, and um, you know, he had a hole through his head. Um, you know, coming out of the other end, it's like this, you know, the x-axis of the head was uh, kind of bored, right? Um, so there was a, a very, very severe punishment and there is no mechanism to undo once the Brahmastra is out, you know. There are some, some chants or some, um, you know, some words that you would utter for these weapons to get active. Uh, think of it as, you know, codes and passwords and stuff like that in today's terminology, right? So that was the level of the weaponry back then. Uh, the master loosely compared to nuclear because of the power it has, mm -hmm. because of the um, the nature of impact that it can uh, put in on planet Earth. Okay, the war zone, which is a place called Kurukshetra, uh, which is even uh, there today in the northern state of uh, Haryana in India. Okay, uh, Haryana is spelled H-A-R-Y-A-N-A. Okay. Uh, so this place exists there, and scientific studies have proven that there is some radioactive residues in that. Really? Yeah. Like beyond what with a normal reading would be? Yeah. So radioactive residues, right? So that that tells you that there is something that has gone in there. And the whole area is kind of uh, barren, since nothing grows there. Right. right? So... So, um, you know, we believe that it's not mythology. We believe that these uh, events actually happened. And the fact that they've been documented, we call it our history. In fact, in Sanskrit, in Sanskrit language, it's called Itihasa. Itihasa translates to history. Mm -hmm. So for us, these two epics are for human history in Indian subcontinent. And I'm not, you know, and that's uh, another, another point I wanted to bring up. I'm glad you brought Sanskrit is an Indian language. And I think most people think of it as being, you know, biblical and, you know, Levantine or, or Canaanite, Hebrew, whatever, and Aramaic. No, it's not. It, it's a, it's an Indian language. And if I'm not mistaken, that the, uh, the, the three wise men, at least one of them was from India. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and you wise men you're referring to are? Uh, well, the, the, to witness the birth of 
Christ or Mithras, take your pick, you know, of, of, of which, which story you came. But uh, now I've also heard that they're all Persian or, or, or uh, you know, depending, you know, but the, I, I think the general parlance is that one came from Ethiopia, one came from um, like Babylon, and one came from further east, which had to be India. Right. Right. Yeah, anything, uh, you know, from India westwards towards Persia would have been part Indian descent. Right. Uh, even your genetic mapping of today um, confirms that. You know, if you look at your genetic, uh, you know, your lesus factor and all those kind of uh, uh, genetic mapping, it's very clear that there is a there is a parallel between um, the people migration as well as the, uh, you know, Indo-European language uh, existence. Um, you know, as you chart the path of Indo-European languages uh, along the map, you'll see that the genetic um, mapping of each of those citizens are also very similar to the mapping of it. Yeah, and, and we, I've had Not shows easy. with uh, J.P. Bristow from the Russian Empire podcast and a couple of podcasts with uh, Darius Kamali of the Persian Version podcast, and we've done mapping of the Turkic peoples and the Iranic peoples sort of indirectly the, the Hunnic peoples um, and all pass through India and then all, you know, or, you know, or inevitably were intertwined. You know, again, I don't know what the chicken and egg is, who, who, who started what, and that's, that's, that's beyond my capability. Uh, but a lot of, you know, the, the, those cultures work their way up north into, you know, Ukraine, Russia, and, you know, and then ultimately even into, you know, Britain and down into North Africa and, you know, all around and back again. So uh, it is very interesting. So I, I certainly uh, suggest that people listen to those shows and just, you know, just li- I'm not saying what to agree with. I'm just saying listen and, and check it all out. Um, but there's a reason your language, linguistic families are called what they're called. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, and I'm going to do a show at some point on linguistics with somebody who can do a better job of explaining the different linguistic families and how they're related, et cetera. And maybe that'll help me work out my theory because this show is because I don't like to do my own research. So, you know, I, I like to have smart people tell me what it is so then I can pretend that my ideas are flushed out and, and are more than just, you know, uh, coincidences, you know, that, that, that any stone 20 year old in college can come up with. Um, all right. I have one other, what I think is a trite question, although it, it's not going to sound like one. And then, then I want to get back to North because we sort of left that pin hanging. And then I've got another sure. question. But I mean, is there in your histories uh, a history and is there a, a version of heaven and hell or is that also too simplistic? Um, in fact, there is um, no concept of heaven and hell. It, it came much more later. Um, I mean, when I say much, much later, I'm saying in the Vedic times, there was no mention of heaven or hell, and this has been debated enough, right? Um, in the Mahabharata, you know, there is, um, there is a mention of an afterlife um, um, area which people get to, and, you know, thanks to the um, colonial translator that we had, they kind of mapped it to heaven and hell, and that stuck on. Right. Right? So, it's, it's as simple as this, you know, you'll be aware of the uh, factor of karma, the, the, the way karma works, right? So, the idea is this is your, um, uh, this is your area in the universe where you have to live through your karmas 
and you have to consume those karmas or expire those. Right? In the sense, if you do good, um, you'll get good. If you do bad, you will face bad. You know, simple as that. You know, in, in a very, very dichotomous uh, narrative, that's what I can put it in. And there's absolutely no um, uh, discussion about existence of heaven and hell in those in those terminals. It's not like, you know, we have a hell where, you know, uh, river sticks is flowing and there is fire and, you know, you're, you're burnt inside a pond or whatever it is. No such descriptions exist. For us, it's a very, very um, karma-based uh, weighing scale where you know based on whatever you do it comes back to you right so it's like a boomerang kind of thing you know uh, what goes around comes around mm -hmm. right? so there is i mean as far as i have researched or i have known there is no segregation between heaven and hell of course there are terminologies uh, which are equivalent to good abodes after death and bad abodes after death right but it has nothing like the descriptions that are there in that's fine. Perfect. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm actually going back to something else that you mentioned before. When you talked about the the basic story of the Mahabharata is that you have five brothers representing the righteous against a uh, hundred siblings. Um, you know, so it's sort of the underdogs, maybe, uh, you know, prevailing. I have uh, a colleague, I'll call him a friend, um, and he's actually going to be on a, a couple of episodes of my sister show, um, Garden Views. And his last name in his language, which uh, I'm not even sure, his nationality is Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistani. I, I'm not sure, you know, I know that there's lots of different uh, tribes, for lack of a better term. But anyway, he told me his last name means, uh, his father told him that his last name basically means, uh, is a reference to the valley of the, either the lion, but that the story is that five brothers defeated uh, a lion, something like that, and I'm, and I said, uh, that sort of sounds more like a metaphor to me. And he's like, and he's like, huh, maybe. Uh, so, but it sounds to me like it's not terribly different than your story. You've got the five brothers, and while the lion is not a hundred brothers, maybe the, the the lion is, you know, you'd still think one lion can take on five people. Um, and I'm wondering if that's if that's related at all, and that's how it got translated at it as it's made its way west. Um, I'm not really asking you to speculate on that. This is just a, one of my little meanderings. And for me to dig in. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's not, unfortunately, it's not going to be for him to dig in because, you know, he's, he's uh, I, I'm not, well, maybe he's dug into it since. Anyway, I'll ask him when I have him on the show. All right. Back to North, way back when, when we were talking about, I think it was, was it, was it Vishnu that we were talking about the, with the, they got the elephant head? Lord Ganesh over there, the elephant. Right. And the, you, and the reason for the elephant head there. Right. And you said north. Let's get back. You said north is very important. Let's get back north. I mean, yes, never uh, quite did. <laughs> yeah. You know, even today in India, um, when we sleep, right, our heads don't face north. Even today. Okay. You know, and uh, it's it's basically coming out of the fact that if you are if you're directed at north, maybe you'll be chopped out, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, uh, North is also the, uh, in, in terms of the Vastu or, you know, the the, the, uh, the significance of the directional uh, sciences, Northeast, West, South and upwards, right? North is the abode of uh, Vishnu, which is the preservation abode, right? So you, 
generally respected uh, for the preservation side of it. Um, most of the houses um, are, you know, east facing because, you know, if you're east facing, the sun travels through your house and not not on top of on top of your house to burn it, right? I mean, the, the kind of tropical areas that we live in, uh, some are significant and so is winter. So we just need to be mindful of where we stay and hence these rules, right? So north is, is a very significant direction in that sense. Uh, it's got, again, one good connotation, one bad connotation, right? Uh, bad in terms of uh, not sleeping, uh, facing your head north. Good because it's the area of preservation. It's where Vishnu decides. Do you think it has anything to do with the, the North Star being sort of like the, the, the guide star, the, the, the load star, so to speak, that it's, you know, Polaris was there and then before was Polaris, was, I think it was Vega, I'm not sure. But, but there's always Vega. been a North Star. Is, do you think yeah, that's so, why? Of course, North Star is, is significant and it's it's a very different story. So um, in, in our history, there is a, a story of... Um, um, you know, a, a prince called uh, Dhruva, um, who is a, a very, very uh, ardent devotee, right? And who who kind of serves his parents as well as God uh, at a very young age. And he is kind of given this boon that um, after you die, you will get a star. Which and God? That star is uh, Dhruva. D -S, uh, uh, this was from Vishnu. Okay, so it's, it's Vishnu. Okay. So, um, after he died, uh, he became the pole star. So, even in uh, Sanskrit, we call it Dhruva Nakshatra. Dhruva means direction. The word Dhruva, the, the kid's name, actually means direction. And you translate that to the pole star. Even today, it's the guiding star. Right? Okay. So, you know, years ago, centuries ago, millennia ago, we were looking up at the stars to look at uh, our life, to guide our life. And I think all of these stories were created just to make sense of the stars up above and to mark which one is important, which one is not, and create stories around that so that it can last so long. So, so it, North Star or Dhruva is completely different um, from this North direction, this this, this story of North direction. Uh, that's a different story altogether. So, so is it sort of like a sign of respect almost subconscious to not not sleep with your head facing north well, could be okay okay all right i have a, a another question this may be completely outside of your wheelhouse but i have a feeling not because i'm not i don't for someone who who took some pains to say that they're not an expert it sounds like you know a lot of everything which i love by the way um well, okay so you know that there's the Atlantis myth, which is, you know, well, yeah. everywhere now, but it's mostly a, a, you know, a Western myth and, you know, everyone wants to put Atlantis everywhere. But in in the Atlantis story, before they ultimately lost to Athens, which I I, I restate all the time because everyone's like, Atlantis was so far above us. Well, they, 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 they lost the war to their, you know, children, basically, to Athens. So, you know, they weren't that far above us. But they also, even before that, they lost the war to a power in the East. So we don't know who that power in the East was. The East could have been, you know, it could, it could have been Troy. It could have been Babylon. It could have been Russia. It could have been India. It could have been anything. We don't know. Um, but I've heard of at least three different Asia-based or close to Asia-based Atlantis-like places. And I'm not sure if any of them have any place in Vedic culture, the Marabharata, or 
Indian culture, uh, history, mythology, whatever writ large. And I'm, I'm using the word mythology here because I'm not sure if this fits into history or not. So I'm using it out of, out of ignorance. Um, and those three are Tartaria, Hyboria, I think it's Hyboria or Hyperborea, but I think it's Hyboria, and Mu or Lemuria. Are any of those tied into Vedic or Indian culture, history, writ large? Right. So, fantastic question. And um, uh, and are they your Atlantis, I guess, if if at all? I guess is the follow-up. Or do you have your own Atlantis? Or do, or do you believe in Atlantis, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where do I start this? Um, Hyperboreans, if I pick them up as, as a community, as a tribe, um, as a linguistic culture, um, there are uh, hundreds of similarities between uh, Indians and culturally and uh, uh, even in terms of migration or linguistically and all that kind of stuff. But um, that said, you know, there are some interesting underwater um, kingdoms currently uh, which are in the in the um, Arabian Sea area or even in the Indian Ocean area. Right? Let me talk, to, talk about two of them. You're free to talk one about is, any of them. Yeah, one is off the coast of uh, Gujarat, which is the westernmost state in India. Okay. And off the coast of it would be uh, on the Arabian Sea. Right? And that place is called Dwaraka, T-W-A-R-A-K-A. And that is believed to be the kingdom of uh, Krishna, the Lord Krishna, the, the Hare Krishna movement Krishna. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that is underwater and there were some archaeological surveys undertaken underwater in the 80s and the 90s and they did find some uh, remains of a palace kind of a thing which is having perfectly square edges and you know chiseled um, um, you know uh, flat surfaces etc etc which has to be man-made it cannot be natural right so that is one underwater structure that uh, that apparently capsized much after the war, right? Um, the other area is down south in the Indian Ocean area. It's called uh, Kumari Kand, okay? And it's based on uh, Tamil ancient literature. Tamil, as you know, it's the south, you know, southern Indian language is supposed to be one of the most ancient languages in the world. They had their own literature, their own uh, um, stories. And uh, they were called Sangam Literature, S-A-N-G-A-M. Every day, Isaac technicians provide expert installation, repair, and maintenance. From Buffalo to Syracuse, Rochester to the Finger Lakes and Southern Tier, our technicians make Isaac the trusted source for home comfort. It's a level of trust and confidence earned by improving the quality of life for many happy clients. Isaac technicians are among the most highly trained in the industry. We take pride in our hiring and training programs. What that means for the client is the best experience possible. Thank you for your trust in Isaac. Visit IsaacKeating.com today. Hey, have you tried Moe's Homewrecker yet? It's a fully loaded burrito, and it comes with this epic new guacamole. Yeah, you heard me. Guacamole. One bite, and you'll be saying, what the guac? Wait, hold up. I said that wrong. It's more like, what the Moe's Homewrecker Burrito is awesome. And yeah, it comes with guac. Welcome to Moe's. And in that 
Sangam literature, they are dated to various kinds of, you know, before common era kind of periods, right? That text talks about uh, um, an area called Kumari Kandam, which connected the south southern tip of India to Madagascar on the west and to Australia on the east. So imagine the entire Indian Ocean uh, area right now, which we call it as ocean, was this huge landmass. Right. So a lot of um, correlations have been uh, hypothesized with respect to Lemuria. Yeah, that, that's but, that's basically the geographic span that that often is Lemuria. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh. So for this landmass, it's been mapped to Lemuria and stuff like that. And it's it's fascinating because when I visited Australia, and this is something that you would ask your Australian friend also, um, the 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 genetic mapping of the Aboriginal Australians has a link with the genetic map of Indians. I mean, if the ocean was there, you know, migration was impossible across oceans. You know, migrations happen on land, right? Migration happened because we could walk 5,000 or 6,000 kilometers or miles or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there is this uh, Aboriginal Australia, which is a 40,000 year old civilization, right? They have their genetic markers very, very similar to what we have in India. That, now that's fascinating. Now that would be a, a crude evidence of the existence of Lemuria because unless that land existed, migration could have happened. It's too, it's too vast an area, right? So, um, as far as Atlantis is concerned, I have seen um, the drawings. I think Plato uh, talked about Atlantis if I'm not wrong, and he drawn the Atlantis and stuff like that. Um, we don't have a similar one in our history, but the closest that comes to mind is this place called uh, Shambhala, Shangri-La, you know, stuff like that, you know, that's about it. But these are the underwater territories that we have, mm -hmm. which are fascinating in, in their own historical relevance. Of course. What's Shambhala? Um, Shambhala is the, um, the place where all of knowledge is sealed and all of knowledge is supposed to be located. Um, geographically, it is supposed to be uh, uh, in the Himalayas. Um, you know, uh, spiritual uh, seekers are always on the lookout for this particular mythical uh, area. Uh, the counter argument for the Shambhala is that Shambhala is within you. All the knowledge is within you as an individual. It's for you to seek mm -hmm. and it's for you to understand that you know that is the epitome of knowledge which is always within you right so either you look at it as an external world a manifestation or as an inner world existence okay within you is what the within okay, okay. Within. it's okay i was just uh, you know with your accent which of course is your accent i was trying i i was trying to figure out the word and so i just want to make sure i got it right um all right you talk uh, and how about tartarian is that any relationship to Indian history whatsoever? I, I am unaware of the, that, the name, so it's that's, my ignorance. Wow, well, that's fine. I, listen, I, I have all, all I know is that it, it, it's a word, and I, and I think it's sort of more Russian, Eurasian, maybe Siberian. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure that that'll be another adventure for me one day. Um, but you, you seem to know a lot about Hyperborea. And if, if you could just maybe give us the five-minute version of, of what your understanding of Hyperborea is, because I assure you it's more than mine. Um, 
All right. So hyperboleans, uh, there was a, a bunch of research that was undertaken um, in the Eastern European areas in terms of their uh, um, their languages, their customs, um, their uh, their way of speaking, etc. And with names also being very similar to our Sanskrit names, for example, right? So that kind it, it was a linguistic research that was undertaken to look at the similarity between Hyperboreans and uh, the Indic uh, civilization. So it was, a, it was a real civilization? Yeah. Uh, was it, but it was, I guess, more northern and a little bit more west? Is that is that what I'm understanding? That, that, that's what even I am looking at. So it was East European and more towards the north. Okay, so uh, sort of like the Ural Mountains area? Newton's side of things, yes. Okay. Um, so let me dig that in if, if you don't mind. Let me just uh, look it up because this was... No, go ahead, Bill. And while you're doing that, I'll, so that we don't have dead air, I'm, I'm going to ask a question anyway. Um, and I know this word is not, you know, nobody likes to use this word anymore, but everyone knows what it means. So I'm going to use it uh, with, you know, and ask the pardon of, you know, everyone in the audience who might be offended. But the word gypsies was incorrect. It's because the, the people who, who made that word uh, thought the folks looked Egyptian. So that's what they called gypsies. It was a slight. And I know that the Romani people take offense because I guess that's where the highest population of what were known as gypsies live. However, the origins of these folks was not in fact Egypt, but if I understand correctly, it was Northern India. Um, so is is uh, so is it perhaps that, that some of those people uh instead of going straight west, they went north and, and formed Hyperborea? Absolutely, absolutely. So there was, based on the out-of-India theory, you know, the, the migration of people. So we went in three directions. One was up north, um, west, and west to the southern tip of the uh, Arabian Sea, etc. So we would have reached the present Middle East. We would have reached the Eastern Europe, as well as the Ural side of Europe, the Northern Europe. And then possibly Australia. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, conjecture, yes, yet to be proven. Uh, the, the thing with these, right, I mean, there is a there is a sense of supremacy that comes about in that individual. And, you know, we are the first civilization. We are the ones who... Uh, you know, we came in here first, right? Now, in spirituality, that is called as the spiritual ego. Yeah. Um, the way our society is built, we, and this is one of the reasons why we have to kind of uh, talk this thing out in the modern world. Uh, we are, we understate our uh, history. Uh, you know, we underplay our history just so that, uh, you know, we don't kind of uh, boss around and boss over the world saying that we are the first ones, etc., etc. At the same time, it looks it looks like um, there was a lot of origin that happened from here, purely based on the genetic marker technology, purely based on the genetic markers. Right now, in the forties and fifties, when we didn't have genetic markers or even the DNA being uh, conceptualized, there was no way to prove these things. Right now, at least we have a technology that can look at these migrations as a, as a endocentric migration. 
well, anthropology is so far behind. And, I, and I'm not trying to poo-poo the out of India or the out of Africa, or I, there's even folks who, you know, argue that, you know, the, the, the first people were in Europe or Northern Europe. I, I don't know what anything is. And I, and, and I will say no one does really. Anyway, I mean, I, even do, in the... Truth, truth is very deep. You know, you yeah. will, and truth has multiple facets. So there's no question of uh, finding out that, yes, this is it. There, there'll never be a this is it. Right. I know at some point they thought they found a mitochondrial Eve in, I've heard both East Africa and West Africa. I accept that as possible, but the, the, the people, I use a loose term, that term loosely, who came out were Homo erectus, you know, so we wouldn't really recognize them as people. If they were sitting next to us, we'd probably be scared, um, or at least defensive. In any event, that, 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 that's not my axe to yeah. grind. Just going, back, yeah. just going back to the Hyperborean um, uh, civilization. Mm -hmm. So what I was reading about, and this was a couple of years ago, it's, it's a book by John Bennett. It's called The Hyperborean Origin of the Indo-European Culture. And there, there are a lot of mentions of uh, the symbol uh, swastika, you know, uh, uh, which is the symbol of wellness and health in our community. And, um, you know, if you tilt it, it becomes the Nazi symbol. Right, not the Nazi symbol, and the more ancient yeah. Eastern symbol of, well, you said wellness, yeah. fertility. Yeah. Yeah. Just a disclaimer, you know, swastika has been a 10,000-year-old symbol for our civilization. And just because in the 40s there were some, you know, one group of people who kind of adopted it and kind of modified it, if I may, right? And what he was, what Hitler would talk about is the... Uh, right. they, put, they, they perverted it. They, they twisted it completely. Which is the, um, I think, which is the star of... The, the, the tilted cross or whatever they wanted to call it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it was, uh, they have a lot of these crosses, uh, you know, Germany, uh, Heinzer cross and some other crosses. The so this cross, is the yeah. because that Hitler had swastika is totally different from it. And swastika is a symbol of wellness and uh, health, right? A lot of these swastika symbols were found in the Eastern European area and the North Europe area. In fact, even in Spain, they have found these symbols. Right. So, which which tells us that there could be a commonality in terms of knowledge dissipation, please. Right. It could be because of trade uh, during those times, you know, any time. So, that's the that's the link that I was uh, reading about uh, a lot of years back about uh, the uh, Hyperborean thing. And, uh, you know, there is this um, city called Arkaim in Russia, A-R-K-A-I-M which is referred to as the uh, swastika city. And the topology of that is supposed to be similar to Atlantis. Now, this is based on this book that I read, uh, you know, two, three years back. I thought I'll just dig in and give you, you know, give you the information that I had, little tiny bit of it. Okay. So, well, it may so, in fact be uh, Indian influence. It, it is absolutely not part of the, the Veda culture. So, uh, but that's great. That, that That's, you know, again, I'll dig into that at some point. And again, by digging, I mean, find somebody who wants to, you know, do an expose on it. And then, you know, a few months later, find someone who wants to give a, you know, counter view of it, which is fine as well. Um, all right. Is there anything else about the, the Vedas, uh, the Mahabharata, that's major, that the Pantheon, that that I did not, that I sort of cut you off or that we didn't get to that you think is important to talk about. We're definitely not going to be able to get to any Hinduism or, or, or you know, or anything else. Like we're, we're 
that we don't obviously don't have time for that, which is cool because that's another show. Um, if you're willing, a couple of um, nuggets that I'll share, which is relevant to the uh, present times. Uh, you know, uh, let me take the example of Ramayana, then I'll come to Mahabharata. Right? Hmm? Ramayana, the other epic I was uh, talking about. So in um, Ramayana, there is this story of uh, the princess uh, being abducted by uh, Ravan, who was the king of Lanka back then, right? And Lanka was a uh, uh, was uh, replete with gold and wealth and stuff like that, and he had this, um, you know, sensory attraction towards Sita, who was the princess of, who was the wife of Ram, right? So. Um, be that as it may, in Ramayana, when Sita is kidnapped, um, Rama finds an army of what we call as Vanaras or the forest dwellers, right? And they were half monkey, half human. Okay? Um, so they were given the task to go around the world in search of Sita because they didn't know where she was, right? So that whole world. Uh, journey is described in detail in Ramayana and uh, research and a lot of these uh, documentation that have been uncovered uh, a lot of references are to with the northern lights that they spot you know they, they spot something that is hazy and green mm -hmm. up north right and there are a lot of uh, um, flora the plantations in certain countries that are unique today which are depicted in that particular journey that these guys take around the world to find where Sita is eventually. So I think that, I mean, if you look at it from a 10,000 year perspective, it's, it's huge to be able to uh, map these things out quite accurately with substantiated evidence as of today, right? As against just creating a work of fiction and saying that, you know, this used to be blue, this used to be yellow and white and stuff like that. So that, for me, is a very interesting aspect of Indian history and civilization that I'm very, very close to, right? Um, to to understand how these guys were back then, you know, how were they able to travel all over? And how were they able to see these things and actually document them for us to read it today, right? Mm -hmm. That is one instance. The second instance is Mahabharata, which is the fight between the, uh, between the two brother kind of communities, right? The five brothers versus the hundred brothers, right? Now, in philosophy, um, you know, Ramayana is a fight between two nations. Mahabharata is a fight between two brothers in the same family. And the next epic would be a fight within oneself. You know, and that's what I think is kind of playing out in the current times. You know, all of us are looking out, seeking out what's, what am I here for, who am I, etc., etc., Right? And I think that is the battle that we are doing or fighting within, which will be the culmination of the next. Oh, I think, well, I, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty clear that we're, that, that is the eternal struggle uh, within yeah. and without. Um, but yeah, that's fascinating, especially that, that story. I mean, I never heard that of the sort of the half monkey, half human, which is, it, it's, it's interesting because uh, this is, might not be related at all. It could be, you know, it could be the Homo erectus, uh, but there's, uh, they, they, in the last 10 years, they found something, I think it's called Homo Naleda, um, which literally were upright, you know, upright creatures that basically had the torsos and skulls closer to a chimpanzees, but 
but the 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 legs, uh, you know, of more of a human that they were bipedal, but also could live in the trees. Literally sounds like half monkey, half man, though no tails, so half ape, half yeah, man. Absolutely. See, I consider the world as a genetic lab of the supreme, of the god. You know, it was a genetic lab. I mean, I mean, nature was creating uh, entities left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nature is definitely a genetic lab. That's for sure. Whether whether somebody's uh, uh, operating it or whether that's just the way nature is is that well I guess that's the eternal question isn't it and it's certainly not one that uh, this guy is going to be able to answer um, for sure and by this guy I mean me uh, I, I'm not going to even likewise well as expected somebody who Jim refers me to is another humble genius who says I'm not an expert but knows everything even when I ask about Atlantis and uh, Lemuria and all that. You, you have examples and cities and underwater, uh, you know, archaeology and things like that to point to. So uh, he does not disappoint. You do not disappoint. If you are willing, I would. I'm going to love to schedule a show with you on, uh, you know, just you know, I don't know how you say this, but on Hinduism and some of the tenets of his Hinduism. And I'm sure, like any other uh religion there is the more metaphysical or spiritual or mystical elements of hinduism just like there's kabbalah and, and judaism and then and, and you know numerology and everything obviously you're very familiar with numerology and astrology so I, i'd love to explore all those things again with you so you're cordially i'd love to be a part of it ah, perfect well for sure and i'll, I'll work with you uh, i'll get in touch with you in, in a few weeks or a couple months and we'll schedule down the road uh, right now, for better, it's not for worse, it's for better. I'm stockpiling shows. I, I've been very successful in booking, but I need to start spreading some things out because at some point I'll have a, a backlog that I'll, I'll never be able to release unless I stop doing the other show and release two Garden of Dooms a week, which is an option, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's unlikely. The other show has its own little personality as well. Uh, it, you know, it's sort of different. Anyway, I thank you so much. You said you were a musician, so if you want me to use any of your music as the outro, please feel free to send me something. I'll be happy to do it. Otherwise, I'll pick something that just sort of hits me, and I, I don't know what it'll be. I usually put in a few keywords in, in YouTube and that hit song, and then I listen to anywhere between one to, you know, 15 songs and decide which one feels right. Um and which one is, is no more than four minutes. So <laughs> that, that, that's sort of my parameters. But uh, if you have one, I'm happy. Happy to, I'm happy to share some of my songs with you. Just Great. take a listen. And so, folks, whatever the outro is going to be, we now know who to credit to. It's to Ajit uh, Panabab. Panabab, I'm sorry. Um, no worries. Is there, is there anything that people can do to support you or follow you? Or are you just an entrepreneur who happens to have a whole lot of interests and, uh, and I'm going to call it expertise. You don't have to. Oh my God. So first of all, thank you for having me here. It's, it's an absolute honor. It's an absolute pleasure. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to Jim for, you know, giving this recommendation in the first place. Right? Me too. Um, in order to support maybe about my music, uh, you could just share those links or, you know, whatever. It's called worldwideweb.com because I'm fascinated by void. Um, I call myself worldwideweb.com. It's, it's a fun internet also. And, of course, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at who we are, so um, I would love to cover global areas of ancient significance. 
right? For now, we are focused on India. Perfect. All right. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that. Everyone check out his stuff and support him and yeah, buy his music and check out his webpage and his business and see what's going on there. I can't thank you enough. Uh, folks, if you can share the show with your friends and refer it to other people, that's great. Uh, like to expand to other countries. So I expect that we're going to get more listeners in India uh, and in you know, the neighboring countries in the region. So check out some of the old shows and, and uh you know, and if anyone out there has expertise in your areas or this area, you have counter uh, views, um, contact me. I'm pretty accessible. Um, I'm on WhatsApp. I'm on Twitter at, at Grisfell, MD. Um, Garden of Doom has a Facebook page. Uh, it's not a group, but it's a page, but you can message me and I'm on Facebook and, you know, under my name, no, no, no pseudonym or anything like that. Um, so I'm easy to find. But yeah, rate, review, five stars, if you please. Uh, write a review. It's great. It really helps with the algorithm. And thanks again to our guest. And we will hear you again uh, next week at Garden Doom. I don't know what the song is yet, but again, all credit to Ajib. It's his original music. So if you like it, and I'm sure you will, support his stuff. All right. Thanks very much for listening. And check you next week. Thank you so much, Jim. Bal Gangadhar Tilak was a very important and revered spiritual and political leader of India from 1880 to 1920. He was also a mathematician, astronomer, historian, journalist, and philosopher. In his book, The Arctic Home in the Vedas, Tilak theorized that the North Pole was the original home of the legendary Aryans and that during the pre-glacial period, some relocated. In support of this theory, Tilak points to certain Vedic hymns, Avestic passages, Vedic chronology, and calendars, which all describe ancient Aryan migrations from the Arctic to Northern Europe and Asia, and later into India.
original Arctic home by the last ice age, you clearly can see that the climate changed very abruptly and uh, catastrophic. Today with Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Amazon Business honors Jill Lau, Chief Procurement Officer of Global Network Bank. Last week, Jill saved big and used Amazon Business to help her team buy 327 headsets. Now Bob can keep his conversations to himself. Wait, am I still on speakerphone? With business buying easier than before, Jill now uses her extra time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Thank you for holding Hang it up, Bob.